Our scripture reading this morning will be in two different spots, both statements of the Ten Commandments of the Fourth Commandment. Uh, Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, hold that, and then we'll begin with Deuteronomy chapter 5, uh, verse 12. I, I want to say as you're turning there, I've been so thankful for the, uh, the wonderful time of gathering and worship t- today. Uh, Jeremy, it's good to see you in a suit, uh, just, just inspiring for me. Uh, John and Dwayne, thank you so much for putting together this wonderful morning. And, and I think, I don't know if you agree with me, that I, it's amazing to watch two brothers up here playing. I wondered if there's any sibling rivalry, but I'm, Alex, I don't want Ben ever to leave, so hold on to him if we possibly can. It was just such a, such a blessing. But now we have the opportunity to hear our Father's word. Beginning with Deuteronomy chapter 5, we'll look at verse 6 and then over to verse 12. Let us stand and remember that we are hearing the word of our Father. Verse 6. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor the alien within your gates, so that your manservant and maidservant may rest As you do, remember that you were once slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day and then to Exodus chapter 20. And what I want you to see is the different basis for keeping the Sabbath day. Deuteronomy, the Creation, no, the the rescue from slavery, and this one, creation. Chapter 20 reads so similar until we get to verse 11. You shall keep the Sabbath, verse 11, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord has blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Life is like an onion. That's what uh, music and art critic James Honecker said. Life is like an onion. Uh, It is a daily monotonous peeling off of layer after layer, only to find out at the end that, that there's nothing in it. Nothing except tears. Now, it's with that very encouraging, upbeat quote that I begin my message to you about the fourth commandment. Because I think almost all of us, at one time or another in our lives, can connect with that very, very personally. I think we often feel like that because in our lives, it just seems like things often get out of sync. 
It's not that we're not doing anything, but it often we wonder why we're doing what we're doing. And there seem to be for some of us so many things. We get up in the morning. What do we do? Get, get the coffee ready and maybe have some breakfast. We know we have to get off to work and work has all of these meetings and things that we have to do, things that have to be accomplished. But sometimes in between, we have to figure out some way that either we or our spouse have to get over there and chauffeur our children to this and to that, to this and to that. And then even after we get home, we look back and we wonder, what on earth did I do today? But there's more to do. The lawn needs to be mowed. Uh, ironing needs to be done. Dishes, they're always, always having to be done. We wonder if it's ever going to stop. And some of us, if we don't feel like we have enough, we also feel frustrated. Because we look and say, why am I living? What, what's to be accomplished here? And then, of course, we look on our PDA, our Blackberry or Trio and say, look, I didn't get it all done. And tomorrow is just like this one. Every day starts feeling like every other one. Uh, I, I tell you, as I, I've thought about this and I've written about it in the worship folder. I have become convinced that this layer after layer of living where inside we wonder, is there anything there, is not the way our Creator made us to live. God loves us. He's declared that. He sent His one and only Son to, to demonstrate that, to, to give His life for us. He's told us how to live, and I'm quite sure that this is not how we should live. And yet, I'll tell you, as I talk with people, and not just here in Southern California, but almost everywhere across our country and really around the world, it just seems that People feel like their lives are out of sync. Uh, those of you who have not been here, I've used the Rubik's Cube as my illustration for this series. That when you get it, it's supposed to all be in order, each side with the same color. You mess it up and then you try to make it right, but every move you make seems to mess it up more. You wonder, where can you restore the order? Where can you restore the beauty? And I'll tell you, when I look at a society like ours, and it seems like for most of us, life gets out of sync, I, stopped, I start to think there must be something basic that we are missing. So, something just very, very fundamental to living that somehow we as a whole society are ignoring. And then when I look in the church and see that it affects us too, I think, is there anything in God's word that is placed there that might help us begin to get the rhythms right? And that brings us today back again to the maker's instructions, the maker of human life telling us how he is meant for us to live. And when we live his way, he says, if you will keep my commands, it will go. Do you remember? It will go well with you. I give you these not to wreck your lives or to box you in. But I want to give my instructions to you so that you may. And he says, live and prosper and even live long in that place where I, where I want you to be. Well, I think that we need help in one of the fundamental places for what I'm calling establishing the rhythms, the rhythms of life, is found in the fourth command. Look again, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day. Keep it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Here's the rhythm. Six days you shall labor and do all that work. But, I mean, that's a part of it. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You don't work, and those around you, if you have any influence, don't make them either. Because once you were slaves, he said to the, to the people of Israel. And, and you didn't have a choice in this. 
As slaves, you had to do what the master said. Once you, but I rescued you from there. I rescued you. So you don't have to live like that anymore. And so I command you, if you want to live, keep one day holy. Now, there are many, if you're a brand new churchgoer, you can look around you. And I'm telling you, not everybody is a brand new churchgoer. And yet, in so many of our churches, we've never even talked about the fourth command. There's been such disagreement about it. You know, there are a lot of people that have just ignored it. Uh, There are many others who say that it was only for Israel before Jesus. And when Jesus came, he did away, not with all the other commands, but this one, I I suppose we're left with nine uh, in in that regard. I honestly think one of the biggest problems we have is that many of us who have grown up in the life of the church, when we've thought about a Sabbath-type day, that there have been so many rules and regulations that we can't even imagine that there's anything good about this, right? No, my wife, I don't want it. I'm not ragging on Dutch folks here, but my wife grew up in a Dutch home, and uh, they, they were really big Sabbath keepers. So in her home, on Sundays, which was their Sabbath, she could sit on the porch and hold a ball, but she couldn't bounce it. <laughs> I just think about that. But you know that we, we, we get to be like that, don't we? we? We just build all these rules, and we can't even imagine that this is a way that we were... God has given us a gift that's supposed to renew us... And, and make it refreshing and make it so that life is a joy instead of this hectic, frenetic, out of sync existence that it has become for so many of us. Now, today I'm going to do, you have an outline in front of you in the worship folder. I'm going to do something I almost never do, and maybe it's not wise, and maybe you'll tell me, don't ever do that again. I'm going to start by going through the controversy because Christians have disagreed with this. And if you just don't like going through that sort of thing, um, I'll tell you when to, to, to zone back in again. I'll say, now you can wake up uh, here. But I just think this is so important for us to look at and why I look at this commandment the way I do. So we're going to start with that. Then we're going to pull back and look at the command itself. And then at the end, if I still have a few moments, I want to think about us. And what difference it might make if we at Lake Avenue Church become people who actually are committed to this command of God. All right, let's review the controversy. I've tried to boil it down. In the, in the simplest way, there are two questions that the way you answer them depends. That's what determines the view that you have on this fourth command. The first one is, is there still a command for us as followers of Jesus? In the light of Jesus coming and fulfilling so much of what pointed toward him, Is there still a fourth command? And the second question is, if so, which day should it be, Saturday or Sunday? Well, you might get some idea because here we are on Sunday, but we were here last night on Saturday, too. So where on earth is this pastor going to fall out on this? There are three positions I just want to tell you about. One is that many, many churchgoers throughout the centuries have said that it is on the seventh day that is the Sabbath. Which is for us a Saturday. For many it would start at sundown on Friday through the sundown on Saturday. But that the seventh day that, that celebrates the completion of creation in Genesis chapter 2. You, you read about it, verse 2. And, and many, many churchgoers have held to that. Uh, today still many do. Seventh day Adventists. And I've just thought about it. Here in Pasadena there was a large group that started here. The Worldwide Church of God. 
that held to this. But you need to know that throughout the centuries, many, many church gurus have held to it. And I'll tell you, there are two arguments that have been used that I think, well, you don't have to think about. They're pretty powerful. Number one, the argument is this. This is a creation ordinance. I mean, when God created the world, he worked six days and then on the seventh he rested. He made us in his image. And that pattern of working six days and stopping one was modeled to us by the one in whose image we are made. And in Genesis chapter two, verse two, we see by the seventh day, God had finished all the work he had been doing. So on that seventh day, he rested from that work. So the argument is basically this, that this is not just for the Jewish people and not just for the Old Testament. It, it, it was in existence before there was an Abraham or an Isaac or a Jacob or a Moses. And that actually, as I read to you in the book of Exodus, as the command is given, it says this is the reason why it's there. Because God created in six days and rested on the seventh. So you had better keep a seventh day of rest. Pretty powerful, I think. Now, the second argument that's used is that when Jesus came and particularly in Matthew 5, 17 to 19, what he said is this. I have not come to abolish the law. Now, we know that there is much in terms of the regulations and rules in the Old Testament, food laws, circumcision laws that were fulfilled. And I'll show you a verse of that fulfilled in the New Testament, but certainly not the moral requirements of God. God didn't change the way he created us to live. And if there's anything still in effect, surely what is found in the Ten Commandments must be there. Uh, so, so Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish it. Now, I don't know what you think about those two commands, creation ordinance and Jesus didn't do away with the way that God created us to live, I personally think they're quite powerful. But what's interesting about them is that the very same arguments used by the people that hold that second position, which is what I call the Sunday Sabbath position. Um, the argument here is, and, and many Christians have held this, actually when the Puritans came over to the United States, they were Sunday Sabbath uh, keepers. And, and the argument was this, that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there was a time where God changed the day that the Sabbath was to be celebrated by all people from the uh, seventh day of the week to the first. From the seventh day, celebrating the completion of creation in Genesis to the first day, celebrating the beginning of the new creation with the uh, with the resurrection uh, of Jesus. And I'll tell you, there can be no doubt at all, but that Christians did meet in the early church on Sundays. There are some incidents in the New Testament to point it out, and the evidence from the early church uh, cannot be disputed. So, which am I, a Sunday or a Saturday Sabbath? Well, let's look at a third position. It's been called a fulfilled Sabbath position. Those of you who've grown up in uh, Lutheran or sometimes Presbyterian churches, you know that this is the view that was held by Martin Luther, John Calvin, many of the great churchmen who've gone on before us, and what they argued is this, that the Sabbath institution belongs largely to all of that ceremonial law that is found in the Old Testament. When Jesus came, it was it was really given to preserve a people through whom a Messiah would come, that the only ones who kept that seventh day were the Jewish people It made them distinctive so that through that distinctive people held together, a Messiah would come. And once he had come. He would bring blessings to all nations, but all of those regulations and rules just for the people of Israel to make them distinctive were done away with. And so they see the Sabbath, which they say was not restated in the New Testament, is no longer binding on us. 
Now, which one of these three does your pastor hold to? None of them. None of them. Really. In each one of them, I see a measure of truth and a measure of things that I just want to clarify. Are you still? Yes, some are still with me here. Let's take that creation ordinance argument, saying that Sabbath keeping is universal because it goes all the way back to Genesis 2. What, what I see here is, is quite clearly God, who has made us in our image, in his image, has said that this is the way that I have made you to live. Six days of productive work, identify it, one day of stopping However, after the people of Israel came into being and after the uh, Ten Commandments were given, a whole series of other regulations were given, things that could be done and things that dared not be done by the people of God to keep them distinctive. Uh, Even one of those pieces, as I look at it, is which particular day had to be celebrated as every person's Sabbath because it kept them together. Everybody who was in Israel celebrated the very same day as their Sabbath. So as I look at it, the, the command that a Sabbath is to be kept, yes, that goes back to creation, but there are many rules, this is why it becomes confusing, many rules in the Old Testament given just to Israel that I think no longer are binding upon Christians. I'll show you that in, in, in just a moment. Well, what about, if that's true, what about Matthew 5 where Jesus said that the law is something he hasn't done away with? Well, again... I think that many of the ceremonial laws, the food laws and the circumcision laws and so forth, those were pointing to the Messiah coming. They kept Israel distinctive. And once Messiah had come, who was going to bring blessing to all of us, even as places diverse as Lake Avenue Church in uh, Pasadena, California, once Messiah had come, all of those had been done away with, but not the moral requirements of the law. And not the ways that God created us to live. And there's one text in the New Testament that I think is absolutely uh, unambiguous about it. It's Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 to 17. I wanted you to see it so you could look at it and consider it. Here's what the Apostle Paul said. A group of people who were trying to make all of the laws of the Old Testament binding on all, all believers. He said, therefore, do not let anyone judge you, followers of Jesus, by what you eat or drink. You know, there were certain things that could not be eaten, certain things they could not. Don't, don't let people judge you on that. Or with regard to religious festivals, new moon celebrations, or a Sabbath day. And here I think he's talking about the regulations around them. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. Because the reality is found in Christ. Do you find that to be clear? It, it seems to me that what is being saying, said is all of those specific regulations that had been given about the Sabbath. You cannot do this. You must do that. Uh, it must be on this particular day to keep you distinctive as people. We're pointing toward the coming of the Messiah, of Jesus Christ. And once he had come, they, they were done away with. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how anyone can dispute the fact that in the New Testament, non-Jewish believers were not instructed or commanded to keep all of the rituals, all the rituals that had become connected with the Sabbath. So before I get on, what about the Sunday Sabbath? Uh, do you think that God changed it? From the seventh day a week to the first. Well, I tell you, the evidence for that in the Bible is scanty to the point of being absolutely non-existent. If I'm going to try to keep all of the rules and regulations of the Sabbath, then I think, and if that's what's being expected, then I have much more sympathy for the Saturday Sabbath than the Sunday Sabbath 
position. You, you need to know that the Christians in the early church, all of them worked on Sunday. Um, most of them were slaves. And, and, and uh, they usually worshipped. Their services were on Sunday evenings. Jeremy, that might be a good argument for the warehouse. What happened is they worked all day and then they would gather in the evening. There's one text in Exodus 20. You may just enjoy reading it. There was a time where Paul was preaching and it's even put he went on, on and on and on and on. And there was a young man who was there who uh, fell asleep uh, and he must have been sitting on a window and he fell out of that window. He had to be raised up. You, you know that story. Now, you need to know this. The Apostle Paul may have been long winded, but he wasn't that long winded. It wasn't that he started in a nine o'clock service and was still preaching until midnight. The point is that they worshipped on the resurrection day, Sunday, but they started in the evenings. So it, it's not telling us that that Sabbath like no work ever on any Sunday is passed on. It simply is not what's there. So that brings me at last. Now, wake up again, all of you who have not been listening. Let's reevaluate this command. Because I can imagine some are just confused. What on earth are you talking about? Uh, are all the regulations and rules and things, they are not binding, but there's something that still is. What is in this command that I see that is still instructive to us, that is still a command for us as a family of God gathering here in the 21st century? Three points I want you to pray about, pray about and think about. Number one, God has said that there is supposed to be one day out of the seven that is to be, and the Bible's word, and it keeps being repeated, holy. Now, I know that sounds like a very religious word because God is called holy, but the word fundamentally simply means different from, uh, other than, not like the others. And, of course, that is God. But when it comes to a week, it's just kind of a simple thing. There is to be one thing about one of the days that is to be different from the other days. Uh, The implication is this, that you and I are going to be able to handle whatever those other six days throw at us. If we at least have one day to stop something (laughs) and get restored and then go back again to what characterizes the six. All right. What characterizes the six? Number two. The other six days are to be characterized by work. It's not that we live one day to the Lord and the other days not to the Lord. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5 and 6, when he would talk about work every day, is now, we know it every day as a gift from God, every day is to be lived to the Lord. But there is something about this one day that is different from the others, and it is that six days you and I are to labor and to do all of our work which someday I'll talk about this, but I'll just mention it now. Christians, the Bible gives us a beautiful way to look at work. God created. We have joy when we're productive. When I started ministry, I was in Racine, Wisconsin, where employment was over 20%. Unemployment was over 20%. Uh, There would be people whose lives were so productive, they would be fired from one day to the next. They would go months without work. And I'll tell you, as we had these groups and getting together and talk about it, I've never seen a group of people whose lives were so out of sync as when they really felt like they were producing nothing. You, you know what I'm talking about there. Those of you, do, do any of you remember when you first retired and you thought everything is going to be heavenly? All I have to do is go out and play golf every day or, 
or a square dance or whatever you I don't know what you've been planning on doing. And then after a couple of weeks of this, you said there has to be more to life than this. It doesn't have to be paid work. It, it simply has to be that our lives must matter. So, so the call upon us there is to identify, Father, at this stage in my life, what is the work to which you have called me? It can be volunteer. It could be in the life of the church. It could be in the hospital. What is that work to which you have called me? Identify it all. Put it all. Some of that might be having to mow your lawn and do the gutters, all of that. Identify it. Six days you shall labor and complete all of your work. See, work is a good thing in spite of what many in our society think. Uh, and we, we kick this off that work is a bad thing that we can't wait till it, we get done with it, even with our children. Do you ever read the, uh, the children's book, Three Men in a Boat? There's one section in that I just love. One of them in the boat says, work. I love work. Work fascinates me. Why, I could just sit and look at it all day. <laughs> I've always like it's that negative view that nobody could really enjoy it. But the fact is that when our lives are productive, we do enjoy it. But not when it becomes an obsession. Not when it's all that we do. Uh, seven days a week, all of our lives. And that's why in Deuteronomy, God says, you were once slaves. You know that. You didn't have a choice in that. But I saved you out of that, so you don't have to live that way. So if you're going to live, I command you, take one day to stop. Take one day to stop. Which brings me to the third part of the command. On the day that is designated as holy, different from the others, don't work. Sabbath, it means to cease. Stop. <laughs> Be renewed. Be renewed. See, this is what I see this command talking about. God has established us to have a rhythm in our lives. That beautiful rhythm is six and one. Six, I'm tired. One, it's different. All that stuff, I don't, I don't have to think about it. I don't have to feel guilty that I'm not doing that. In fact, I'm not supposed to do it at all. Stop, stop, and then come back to it. That's how I see the command. That's what I think God is telling us to do. He's established a rhythm so you and I might live well and that it might be in order instead of out of sync. Which brings me to the last thing I want to talk to you about. I've called it the relevance of the command. I've wrestled with how to talk to you about this, so stick with me. Let's pray and think about it because I think it could be church-changing and life-changing. Let me ask a couple of questions. First question that's hit me is, will you believe it? Will you believe that this message is true? It really is a faith matter. Will you really believe that what God has said about how he's made us to live is good? And that it is actually something that we should commit ourselves to? I've almost been afraid of talking about this. I, I met with Jeremy and, and Pastor Albert Tate on Tuesdays. We were, we were talking about this. I think the first response is yes, but... Yeah, yes, but that might be good for somebody else, but not 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 now. The churches I've pastored before have almost all been business or professional churches. And when I've talked about this, there's always this. Oh, no. Yes, but. And then I had 12 years with students. Well, yes, but that might be OK for my father or mother. Maybe someday when I get out of here, but not but not now. I, I just want to ask us if we're really going to believe that God loves us so much that he said this is how you can really live. 
Will you believe it? Marva Dawn has written a book called Keeping the Sabbath Holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y. She tells about a wagon trail trip that went from St. Louis to Oregon. And they, they got started late so that they were pushing toward winter. And, and they started to think, will we make it in time before the bad winter hits? And so kind of a dispute broke out among them. Some of them said, we've got to travel seven days a week. We cannot stop or we'll never get there. God surely understands it. And the other group said, no, no, no. We're supposed to have six and one, six and one, six. So they, the dispute was so, so vicious that they broke into two groups. They couldn't travel together. So one group went seven days a week. One went six and one, six and one. Now, because I'm preaching about this, you know what happened. <laughs> you, you know what happened. Those who committed themselves to the six and one arrived days earlier, having lost none of their animals and refreshed and ready to go. Now, we don't have as many students here, but this is what I simply want to say. If, if we trust God on this, and it really is a matter of faith, as all of our Christian walk is. Is God good? Does he mean well for us? And... Uh, can he be trusted to tell us if you live my way, it will be a whole lot better? I'll tell you, students, if, where we have students, if you will learn to study and work hard six days and stop on the seventh, I am convinced you'll be a better student. I'm convinced of it. Um, business folks, professionals, if you learn to identify what it is you have to do and get it done in the sixth, and stop. I think you'll be more productive, more effective in the workplace. And I think it's true of all of us. And the flip side is true, too. That if we ignore this or disobey it, I think we're going to suffer. Whether that's in the side of being lazy and wanting to have six non-work days and only one productive. Or on the other way, that we are going to say, I, I, don't, I don't care what God says. I, I'm going to do it the way I want to, uh, want to do it. I'll tell you, work is a wonderful thing, but it is awful when it becomes your God. And I see God saying here, you must rest. And if you and I don't listen to him saying it, somebody's going to say it to us sometime, doctor or somebody. And then I think it might be too late. It's like music in so many ways. I told Dean, who works in the percussion, I'm going to use him in the sermon. But as a positive, not an example of sin, Dean. Uh, where you have an orchestra playing. And you have the percussion study. It changes everything. Then the rest of the music can settle in, settle in beautifully around it. It's true of all kinds of, it's true of jazz music too, where you have so much improvisation going on. And where the drummer is setting a steady, consistent rhythm, then everybody else can play around and settle in and, and improvise and do beautiful things. And that's what I see here. God says, let's set a rhythm. Let us set a rhythm. And then the rest of your life can settle in and be beautiful and creative. Will you believe it? Will you believe it? Second, I want to ask, if so, will you enjoy it? I have to say this because, again, I keep coming back. You know, that's kind of background. I came from a home where whenever we would set up things like this, uh, we would suddenly have all these rules around it. Uh, Okay, then, then don't do this, don't do this, that, that, that. You can't go to this place or to that place. And then suddenly I say, I don't think I like this all that much. Do you, do you remember what Jesus said about this in Mark chapter 2, verse 27? He said, listen, as he was being criticized for some of the things he was doing. 
He says, listen, the Sabbath was made for people, not the other way around. It wasn't that God said, boy, I really love Sabbaths. Let me see if I can create somebody who will have to keep it. No, I love people. Now I'll create a way that they can enjoy life. Now, the other side, as I've mentioned, is the antinomian spirit in our day that says, I don't care. Even if God says it, I'm not going to do it. Before the Lord, I think all of us need to stop and ask if we're going to find a way to apply this. Now, with that, I want to throw something past you. It's from your pastor, not from the Lord. Mark this down. I've departed a little bit from, from, I'm not saying thus saith the Lord, but I've wondered about something. Is it possible that the way you and I celebrate our Sabbaths might be different depending upon the work God has entrusted to us? Is that possible? Is it possible that because my work has to do mostly with my mind and with my mouth, that maybe I will be restored if on that day that is wholly different from the others that I'd go out and dig around in the dirt? I just wonder about that if that's true then that might mean that we won't be so critical of some people who are doing something on the day designated as their holy day when they do something different from us it just seems to me that the work that god has entrusted to each of us is different and and he gives it to us to identify that work and to make sure it's done and i just wonder about that maybe the way that we are restored and renewed on that day might be different depending upon the work god's given all right Away from your pastor to the, to the word here. Third question. Will you let others enjoy it? And this is for all of us in some ways, but particularly for those who have been given positions of responsibility where the decisions that we make affect those under us often that we supervise. You notice all of this where you have the opportunity to do this. He would say usually to the uh, patriarch of the family, you shall work and not just you, your son or daughter either. Uh, your manservant, maidservant, don't let your ox work. I always love that. Uh, your donkey either. Don't let any of your animals work. And if you have aliens, it's not just God has made all people to live this way. Remember, he says, you were slaves, but I've made you to live. So where we have the opportunity to have our decisions affect others. Let's make it possible, at least, for others to have one day that is different from from the six. And then the final question. Will this be easy? That I put in the parenthesis? Oh. Well, fourth. Will it be easy? I put in a parenthesis. This is not a suggestion. It really hits me that he keeps telling us it's commanded, it is commanded, it is commanded. Look at verse 15. He ends it with that. The Lord your God has commanded you to do this. I have talked about this command with Christian leaders and pastors, theologians, uh, Bible exegetes, they always push back hard at me. But then at the end of the day, we come back and we say, this is not easy to obey. <laughs> I've been threatening all week to have uh, Janie Thunderburk and, and Ceci and, and Vanessa Rose and my wife Chris come up and give testimony about how the four of us do in this six-in-one pattern. We all agree that if that happens, we're not going to show up. <laughs> We all, we all find this pattern, rhythm of life difficult. On one side, we, we shouldn't be surprised 
I think the more we look at the Ten Commandments, we'll see that all of them are difficult to apply. Even though that's the way God meant for us to live, it's the irony of the thing. We were created to live this way. We live better this way. There's something about us that's been bent. Genesis chapter 3. We, we live among an imperfect fallen people, and, and that's us too. So it doesn't come naturally to us to live as God made us to live. So it takes commitment. It takes support of God's people. And it takes the power of God's Spirit. To help us. Young mothers, isn't this almost impossible to, to obey? How do you do it? I, I think somehow we have to get into a, a place where we help one another. And sometimes come alongside, even, even with young children, to say, why don't I take yours a couple of days and you take mine a couple of days? That we help one another. I do think that one of the makes, things that makes it hardest for us to obey this command is that so many of us allow the work uh, of the six days to slip into the seventh. We, we try to let that seventh set the other six free. This is really true of students. Oh, I've got a test on Monday. Hmm. Well, it's Saturday. But you know what? I'll study a little today, but I also have tomorrow. I'll study a little tomorrow, too. And you know what starts to happen? Every day becomes just like every other day. It becomes to, feels like that layer after layer after layer where nothing sets it apart. And it's not just true of students. It's true of us all. You see what God says. Here's what you have to do. Identify what your work is, both paid and unpaid work. The things that when you get up, you really don't want to do. <laughs> Identify what it is. Do it all in six. It's kind of like on Fiddler of the Roof in Tevye. Uh, figure it out. Oh, my, uh, the sundown's coming. Sabbath is about here. I've got to get, I got, I got to get the cows in. I've got to get the barn closed before Sabbath begins. Then, whew, you can get together for the dinner. You can sing together. You can bring praise to God uh, together. Will it be easy? I think we're going to find that none of the Ten Commandments is easy because there's something flawed about us. But that's why Jesus came to forgive us of where we have gone wrong and to begin remaking us so that we can live well. I'm going to leave you with two verses. Two verses. I've shown these to you before, but in the light of this fourth command, let's look at it again. Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep my commands always. Because I want it to go well with them and with their children forever. I just keep coming back. Do we want to live well? Our lives go by so quickly, don't they? And that's what God is talking to us about, getting this order and this pattern right. And then if we miss it there, he brings it back again. Walk in obedience to, to nine of the ten commandments that God, to all that the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live, so that you may prosper, so that, you may prolong your days. How do we live well? How do we prosper and prolong our days? Well, one of the ways God says is this. Observe a Sabbath day. Keep one day different from the rest. I'll tell you. When you have worked hard for six days, this one day, it's a relief, isn't it? It is a delight. And I am telling you on the authority of the word of God. 
It is just what you need if you're going to live life to his glory. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. We're going to be singing a couple of very appropriate songs, asking God to search our hearts and then asking him to guide us. But perhaps we could have just a moment of silent prayer. I think asking God, do I really believe this? Do I really belong to you? And if so, making a recommitment to obeying this command. Pray that God would give you wisdom to know how you should. What might be different. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, we've gathered here as a family with you as our father. Hearing these ancient words telling us how you meant for us to live. We look at this. It is countercultural, Father. You know this. It strikes, I'm sure, almost each one of us in different ways. But, Father, you love us. You made us. You, you sent your son who gave his life for us. You've given your spirit to us. You want things to go well for us. We know that, Father. So show us how we should respond to this, your command. Father, I also want to pray for any who've come today who have never come to know you, never trusted Jesus, uh, that they might, even though this message has been to us about how we live, simply because they've come here, they know this is good, this is true. I need to know this God. Father, I pray for them that this might be their first day of trusting Jesus as their Savior from sin. First day of beginning to walk and live as you've made us to live. Father, whatever you want to do in our lives, speak to us. Our lives are yours. We want to bring glory to you. In Jesus' name.